0: There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcast at
1: DubaiEye1038.com The Bookshelf, what you should be reading.
2: Laughing out loud is what we are going to be talking about, preferably on public transport so that everyone awkwardly stares at you giggling, because that is always fun. Who better to review a funny book or two with us on Talking of Books than the one and only Mina Ligioni? Hello. hey hello welcome to the studio
0: i'm a little nervous i'm a little out of my element here i don't i've never been on a book show before and i and truth be told i cannot remember the last time i read a complete book being a mom i'm a mom of two 18 month old twins i i it was a very challenging experience to to commit to it but i'm glad i accepted your challenge and, and I read the whole thing. Um, the last few chapters, I had to go to, to Kindle. I went from Tinder to Kindle. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I finished it, and, I, and I'm and i really happy to be here to chat about it.
2: Thank you so much. That's actually one of the reasons that I thought it would be great to invite you to the show, because so often on Talking of Books, we have people who are reading all the time. They know a lot about literature, but every now and then it's, it's nice to have somebody who actually, you know, has that common concern that i don't have time to yeah. sit down and read a book and it's nice to see if a book passes passes that test because i think i think your criteria for a good is possibly a little bit higher um, <laughs> so you are a an award winning performing artist comedian mc and arts educator you hail from new york as i think we all can hear <laughs> you yeah i'm a little nasal it's not a cold this is uh, this is my usual voice you co-founded a uh, ue based comedy school dubomedy with your husband ali said i believe correct yes. me if any of this yes, is yes that on. that is correct and you are here on the show today amazing before we That's get into correct it, too also before we get into it the book we're here primarily to talk about is Reasons to be Cheerful by Nina Stibby because it just won the Woodhouse Prize for Comic Fiction. So it's won a prize, people have said it's funny, and I'd like to get your opinion, Mina, on whether or not you think it's actually funny. And I'd like to ask everyone listening, what are your reasons to be cheerful? What small or big thing brings you joy today? And you can let us know on 4001, and this is just for fun if you feel like sharing. And I'm going to ask Alex Brun and Mina Lichione, what are your reasons for being cheerful today? Well, my baby slept last
0: night. Oh, well,
3: that's great.
2: So
0: I am definitely cheerful for that. And um, I've been on a diet and I've actually lost a little bit of weight. See, I'm going to New York and I know I'm only going to eat carbs the whole time I'm there with my Italian family. So I've been taking a break and I've actually lost weight. So that really made me cheerful as well. So that's double.
2: What's the worst thing that you can say to an Italian person?
0: The worst thing, oh my gosh! The worst thing you can say. May your pasta never be al dente.
2: <laughs> that
0: that's like the worst curse ever.
2: <laughs> so al dente pasta would also bring you joy. <laughs> oh my, always, always, and Ale-
0: cannolis, and oh,
2: I'll stop talking. You're making us all very hungry. Alex, what brings you? Joy today, well, to it makes you cheerful.
3: I kind of had an interesting, interesting experience on this one too, because I had the kind of deadline to get this read by today, and I mm. actually sat for about six hours yesterday and read it. Um, my wife was looking after my little daughter, and I, I read the book, and uh, you know about half of the book. And it was, uh, yeah, it was fantastic just to be able to sit there and read. So, in the last sort of week or so, I'm really grateful to have some great cultural experiences, seeing um, Faith Healer at the Courtyard Playhouse, and also reading this book. It's just so important because it's so easy these days to get distracted, and you got your Phone and you got Netflix and you got a million things happening. Mm-hmm. So to just take some quiet time out and just to sit and read a book or to sit and watch a play is just it kind of reminds me very much what is really important to my soul.
2: Oh, that was so deep and moving. <laughs> I love how you we went from El <laughs> Dente Pasta to this whole like <laughs> spiritual well, journey. Well you can't
0: you can't read and multitask. So well, it really it, you forces you to just sit still and tune out, which yeah. is a very different Experience. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree with you
2: on that. Absolutely. I've tried to read a multitask. I've spilled a lot of soup on myself. <laughs> <laughs> so, Reasons to be Cheerful by Nina Stibbe is the book that we are reviewing today with Mina and Alex as well. And just very briefly, it's basically about Lizzie Vogel. She's an 18-year-old. She moves from small, tight-knit community to a bit of a bigger city, and she's nervous about it. And it's a kind of a rite-of-passage book. It's about learning to adult and all of the things. Most important question, did you like it?
0: I, I liked the beginning, and then towards, towards the second half, I, I was kind of waiting, you know, like, I liked it. I did. I liked it. I didn't love it, mm-hmm. but I, I, I enjoyed it. It was kind of like a light read, and there was, it was very quirky, and what I did appreciate about it was the observations. This woof, uh, sh- Nina, like I felt like I was in the room, even because a lot of it takes place in a dentist's office. and things I didn't want to to know. <laughs> I knew about dentures and gums and bleeding and all it was very detailed. Um, and it, that I, I really, really, really appreciated like how detailed she was, the similes, the metaphors. she she didn't just like um, comment on something. She went the extra mile to really paint. This, this very vivid picture. And um, I really, really appreciated that. Um, but yeah, about halfway through the book, I was kind of waiting. I was like, okay, where are we going? Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Enough about the dentistry. Let's talk about some more stuff. Um, so it wasn't amazing, but it was good.
2: Alex.
3: Listen, I'm going to say it is amazing. I think it's an amazing book. Um, what it, it's just astonishing, this this young girl, Lizzie Vogel, and she's so very, as I said earlier, she's really strong. She faces lots of complex issues in life, and I know when I was 18 I was incredibly screwed up, so I wouldn't have dealt with things like she deals with. But the most fascinating thing is her relationship with her mother, which is mm. extraordinary. Her mother is got. she has got this real love-hate relationship with her mother, and it's also like she has to survive her mother. Uh, but her mother's—you know—you you, just the details exactly as you said, and the way that she describes things. And a lot of the book also deals with her kind of friendship-stroke relationship with a with a guy called Andy, who makes the dentures and comes to the dentist on a regular occasion. And just the I actually love the way she keeps it all so small. And it's all set in Leicester. It all happens at this dental surgery, and she lives in a flat above the dental surgery. And it's all so detailed and well observed. And things that just little tiny details or little tiny moments become really important. I mean, her relationship with her grandmother, her relationship with her stepfather, you know. Danny, her younger brother, who the mother's just had another baby. And it's it's just it's really, I don't know, I just found it a really, really beautiful book. And let me just read you a really, really tiny little bit just to give people a bit of an idea of her style. I'm possibly, I promise you this is really, really little. It just gives you an idea of the way she writes, which is so beautiful. This is when she first uh, meets or, Andy, or they go to pick up Andy Nicolello. Some days later, Mr Holt, which is her stepfather, and I went to collect Andy and his belongings from the shack behind the soap factory. We'd gone in the snowdrop van, which hadn't been necessary as Andy only had a battered suitcase, an old John Collier carrier, and a motorcycle helmet. He was sitting on the suitcase by a five-bar gate. As we pulled into the lane, it was like a play for today because one small muddy child sat on the gate and another watched from a tree. I didn't get out of the van in case Tony appeared with a Stanley knife and started a fight, which is what would have happened in a play for today. But I was recalling my own home leaving when the stolen spoon had been discovered. Tony didn't appear and Mr Holt opened the back doors. Andy said his farewell to the two boys, clambered in, and then sat on the floor, silently crying all the way home. I got up to comfort him, but Mr Holt asked me to sit down again for safety reasons. If I'd been driving, I'd have, I'd have pulled over, but Mr Holt knew that wouldn't have been what Andy wanted, and by the time we got back home, he seemed a bit better. She and is- just—it just, To me, it sums up beautifully the mix of comedy and, and mm. melancholy and, and just beautiful writing.
2: It wasn't what I expected it yes, to be. Yes, absolutely. Yes, That's for sure. I mean, and the ob- the observation was definitely there, and I found myself chuckling out loud at certain moments. But mm-hmm. I think I felt, in a similar way, that I was w- I was waiting for something. Mm-hmm. I, I always felt like I was waiting for something, and I could see the inherent wittiness of why it won the the prize, especially with a name like the Woodhouse Prize for Comic Fiction. I mean, there's a the Woodhouse style is quite you know British and witty, and it's in keeping with that. But yeah, I I did feel similarly, like I was waiting for the next thing to happen and it never quite hit.
3: Well, I guess the thing that drives the book is the relationship between Lizzie and Andy. That's the big sort yeah. of thing, and the tension. It's all about the book.
0: relationships, and will, and that that was a big part of it. For will sure.
3: they get together, or won't they get together? And then, really interestingly, her mother then becomes a rival for Andy's affections, or which is yeah, really that was kind of creepy. That was a little
0: creepy. You're like, oh, but, but it's
3: really, it, it is. But I actually really, really believed it. So she's worried that her mother, who is you know, is going to steal Andy away. And then when you think something's going to happen, something else quite unexpected happens. Probably with about two-thirds of the way through, which really takes the book in a very, very different direction, which, again, as yeah. you say, is unexpected. And uh, I, I really love that about it too. But I think it's just her skill with words. As a writer, admiring another way a writer can describe a situation and keep mm. it so vivid and so real and so entertaining. When it is, it's you know, who wants to read a book about a dental surgery? But, yeah. you know, this one held me the whole 275 pages.
2: Mm. It's, it's interesting. This is why it's great to disagree because it's interesting how different people respond you know, differently to literature. And the writing, I think, is phenomenal. That there were certain passages where I read it and I thought, this is exactly what it's like to be confused and growing up there's one moment where she's talking about the telephone calls that she enjoys having while she's at the dentist surgery she probably shouldn't be chatting to random people (laughs) but you know she describes how she needs it because she's quite lonely and moving away Uh, her mother is quite happy for her to move out Mm. but but she isn't and Mm. she's constantly seeking connection she says these calls became important to me because I had never I had surprisingly few visitors to the flat in the early days my sister never seemed to fancy the two bus journey and no invitations Except from Tammy. And whatever my mother might say about never admitting it, I was lonely. Adulthood had come upon me like the creeping darkness of night, and I felt lost. As a child, I'd have wandered about until I found someone to play with, whether their parents liked it or not, or a building site to run around, or an injured bird to nurse back to health, and that would have been me happy. Mm.
0: Mm. And then her mom also tells her later on, like, never admit you're lonely.
2: Exactly. That
0: was like <laughs> keeping up with appearances. Uh, So it was definitely the relationship with the mom was was definitely very complex. And and I was always interested to see where it was going to go. And I think with comedy, um, if you feel bad, if you feel really bad for the character, it's hard to laugh at them. Mm -hmm. It's hard to laugh. So like Alex was saying, there was a big, there was a shift There was a a plot twist (laughs) that happened that, so for maybe the second half of the book, I kind of saw the whole scenario and the story in a very different way. So it was harder for me to laugh because of that. Um, And also, which wasn't a funny topic, but I really liked, is that she talked, one of the characters she was accusing of uh, potentially being a a xenophobe. And there, I had to actually ask a few of my my English friends. I was like, what's the DHS? Is is that like, what kind of, is that like the national health system? Because I didn't really understand what that was. And my friend was explaining to me. Um, that oh yes you know there's this type of healthcare and then I said well why wouldn't a dental office accept that and so someone had to explain to me and that for me I was like I wanted to hear more about that because that that was talking a, a much like you have all these light kind of fun observations and very intricate relationships with complexities but then you have this really important topic that's just kind of floating around.
2: This has been an interesting experience for you. You were yes. you were talking off air about the fact that. It was it was a great experience actually finishing the whole yes. book and
0: yeah because it's really easy to start a book and then not get back to it and then months later it's still sitting there like I re- read a lot of plays and they're yeah. fast reads I read a lot of articles but to, a book is a commitment it's a commitment. It is a commitment, you know, you don't want to just, you know, go on a few dates. You know, it's like, no, it's a commitment. It's a relationship. And, and I really, really, I, I'm glad that, that you gave me this, this challenge because I, I committed to it. But I, I do, I had to admit the last few days I was worried that I wasn't going to get through like the last few chapters just time wise. So I did, I converted over to audiobooks. I went to Kindle, and I didn't know how I was going to feel about it, but I was grocery shopping, and I was listening to this, and I loved it. It was actually a really positive experience, and my husband, he's on Kindle. Uh, My husband's also a comedian, and he loves – listening to like um, one of the funniest books that he he loved it and he let me listen to a few chapters was Kevin Hart his his autobiography about I can't make this up and now it's kind of a common thing where the comedians are they're also the narrators wow. so yeah. you hear it from their mouths in their timing as if they're performing stand-up because at, or a one gonna, show
2: who else is gonna read it as well as they are
0: exactly right? so like my husband was trying to get me you know he's like oh no, you sh- you'll enjoy this. is something really good. I think you'd enjoy it. And I just kind of didn't have a reason to try it, but I did. And it was, it was great. And, and it's hard definitely as a mom and running a school and working and, uh, to not multitask is very, very challenging. But with audiobooks, I, I had a little bit more freedom. So I'm glad that I did both. I had the bet, you know, I, I did a little bit of both
2: and I was like, woohoo. Because it's it's such a common conversation that I end up having with people is like how do you how do you actually read so many books each week and it's a conversation mm. that we have a lot in the festival office because we're, we're all reading constantly, but but it is a common concern like how you how you actually fit in reading throughout the day and yeah. you know how prolific Stephen King is as a writer mm. he's yeah. equally prolific as a reader and that's mm. one of the things that he's been asked as well like how on earth do you also write so much and read so much and he says that he he has a book with him. Everywhere he goes. And any spare minute where he is waiting in line for anything, you think about how many lines that you end up waiting in, how many hours you spend driving in your car where you could be listening to a book. That all adds up. And so he's, he's in the queue for the cinema. He's reading his book. He's always got his finger... On the page is always reading whenever there's a spare minute. Commitment. Well, well, yeah. yeah.
3: Well, you think about how much time you waste, probably. You know, reading on your phone or reading social media. If you change that over to reading a book, but I just want to mention really quickly because there's a really other interesting thing in the book is there's this whole strand about uh, her Lizzie's mother wants to be a novelist. So yes. she's trying to write this novel and get yes. it published by Favourite and Faber and it's absolutely hilarious and she wants to get published by Faber and Faber because the person she's writing to her name is Patience Tidy and she just has this <laughs> idea that I'd love my editor to be Patience Tidy and then she changes her nom de plume to Mildred quietly because it would be work more better with Patience Tidy and this yeah. goes through the whole thing. So I wonder how autobiographical <laughs> it is, how much, and it's all set back in the sort of late 70s, early 80s where I guess Nina was growing up, how much it is autobiographical about Nina's life or how yeah. much she's drawn on that. And, and she also, also wanted to be a writer. And
0: she yeah. was talking about wanting to be a writer, but more of a columnist at the yeah. time. But I thought the same thing. I was like, wait,
3: yeah. is how much of this is true? Yeah, she wants to write. Lizzie wants to write for women's own. <laughs>
2: Yeah, this is this this is great conversation that she has about. Oh, yeah, I'm reading lots of magazines. I really love them. And her mother is horrified. Yeah, yeah, yeah. she can't stand it. (laughs) And I love I love this bit. It was hard for her to hear this. I'd be I had been an avid reader, a bookworm, bookaholic, librarian, call it what you will, as much as the next brainy young person, having been exposed, no, subjected to the classics, the southern gothicists, the modernists etc. And then she goes on to say that I'd been aware of it up until then, my mother being too intellectual to concern herself with the sorts of things that went on inside those pages, the magazine pages. Mm. Oh, but my goodness, how she'd missed out. How much nicer her life would have been if instead of punishing us all with Herman Melville, James Joyce and all that terrible Shakespeare, she'd known that sometimes people missed their own weddings or turned up at the wrong church but saw the funny side afterwards and that half a lemon dispelled fridge (laughs) odours. So that whole relationship with her mother is one of the, I think, the highlights in the book for me and I think for a a couple of us in the studio. I just want to talk a bit, more about you mentioned kevin hart i think mm. a book that comes up as a favorite in terms of funny writing is tina Fey's memoir i bossy was just pants. gonna say that T- bossy
0: pants was fantastic
2: and a lot of people talked about and i thought it was just another one of those celebrity memoirs where okay if you like the person you'll like the book so if you're a tina Fey fan you'll enjoy mm. it but i have had a lot of responses from people saying actually it's a great book she's a phenomenal writer
0: mm. Yeah. And she was talking about there's there's an interview with between her and David Letterman and he brought up her book and the process of writing that book. And she said of any movie of all those those years of writing at Saturday Night Live where it's crunch time, you have to write Mm. so many sketches in one week. There's a huge turnaround. She said the book was by far the most challenging um, because she had just turned forty and she was pregnant for the first time, and there was all these things going on, and she was still working, and she was worried that it wouldn't be good. And uh, naturally, she her the bar for her is is pretty high in terms of writing and comedy, so she was worried that it wasn't going to be the best that it could have been. Um, and in you know, and everyone loved it, so she was just saying, she's like, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to write another book anytime soon. But I'm, I'm definitely proud of it. And she's glad that she did it. But it, she said it was a very, very stressful uh, experience for her. And I was surprised because she writes so many scripts and, and, and sketches and all kinds of stuff. I would have thought that would have been more pressure. But I guess, again, when you step outside of that, when you get used to writing for scripts specifically, mm-hmm. it's a different type of writing. Um, and also, this was personal. It was about her. There was no characters to hide behind. So I'm sure that was was a part of it as well. But it was great. It was a really fun book.
2: What was the last book that made you laugh, Alex?
3: Wow, that's a really good question. Well, Reasons to Be Cheerful, of course. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Other than Reasons to Be Cheerful. Listen, before that, I must admit I'm not a... I have a really strange relationship with comedy. Mm. A very Mm. strange relationship with comedy. Yeah, you did pick Tragedy earlier when I said comedy or tragedy. Yeah, because I just... uh, Forced comedy – I, I, Nina, you're going to throw me out of the studio. I don't like stand-up comedy. That's okay. I don't like it. I A just, lot of
0: people don't. It's I all right. I find
3: it so forced and it's like you sit there and I'll laugh. And it doesn't matter what the guy says. A lot of stand-up comedy is very offensive, which I find extremely surprising in Dubai that it's very offensive. But it's like – I'll stand here, I'll stay stuff, and you laugh. And it actually doesn't matter what the guy says. If you decide to laugh, you'll laugh. If you decide not to laugh, you won't laugh. Mm -hmm. And I find so much stand-up comedians, they're just not funny. Mm. And it's just like this really incredibly forced thing.
2: And I'd like to see where this conversation
0: (laughs) goes. I'd (laughs)
3: like to hand over to to Mina because just off air she said some really beautiful things which I'd like her to repeat about the great things about stand-up comedy.
0: Yeah, My and pressure. you know what? Everyone has their opinion, and comedy is subjective. Um, I have to admit, even myself when when I was younger. I come from a very a Broadway background, um, so stand up comedy as a performer was something for me. You know, I was an autist, You know, and and a lot of stand up comedy that I had seen in the clubs was very vulgar and very brash and negative, and and I felt like they felt angry some of the people and some comics not at all but some comedians I was like yeah that's that's not who I am and a lot of my friends were encouraging me to do stand-up and I was like I had to find my own voice I had to you know comedy stand-up starts with truthfulness and you can't hide behind this character I mean there is some some you know personas and characters stand-up but for the most part it starts from a very truthful place and you're talking about tragedy versus comedy. Um, for me, uh, pain and tragedy in time is comedy. And you can reflect on those very painful experiences in your life and then flip them into jokes. And a lot of times people can laugh because they've gone through the same thing, but just don't want to talk about it in public, you know, and and I do. I, I also agree with you that there are very, very vulgar comics. There are shock comics. Sometimes they just want to provoke. Some comics are angry. No one really won't No one really likes an angry comic who rants, uh, but that does happen sometimes. And then you have you'll find comedians that you find really relatable. You know topics that you're like, oh wow, I, I can really relate to that. Um, like Dave Chappelle right now. Uh, I mean, he's he's always talk like he's not just a comedian. He also there's so much commentary that goes on. And and then George Carlin, he was like more. He was like a. Yeah, he was way ahead of his time. He, he was there was like philosophy involved. There was like wow, and and I also really like Gabriel Iglesias, and he just m- makes fun of himself, and he and he and he really brings like Latino life into the forefront. So so there's a lot of positives, and again, comedy is subjective. So if that's if you're not into it, then you're not into it. But I really hope that. That, you know, you find one comic, one stand-up comedian and you're like, you know what, I actually related to that and and it might change your view.
2: And Mm. on that note, uh, we went around the Dubai office and we asked the wonderful presenters and colleagues here what the funniest book or author they've ever read was. And this is what they had to say.
3: There's two books that come to mind. The first one is This Is Going To Hurt. It had me absolutely laughing out loud to the point that my other half kept asking uh, why I was laughing so much. Um, It also is quite emotional though, so it can make you quite sad, but generally hilarious. Um, The other one is A Man Called Ove. It had me laughing and crying in the same sentence. It's absolutely brilliant. Um, So both of those.
1: You know, I'm quite dull. I tend to write or read business books but one in particular i really like it's it's called jacked up and it's by a guy called bill lane now he was the speechwriter for jack welsh for 20 years when he was at, at general electric and the stories he tells and the way he tells them are just incredible i'm not going to repeat any of them now because the language is colorful and the subject matter is not always politically correct but at times that book is laugh out loud funny and it shouldn't be because it's a business book it should be dry but my word he's very good at tell you another guy who's really, really good. Again, it's a business book, but it is funny. It's Michael Lewis. Now, he's the guy who wrote Moneyball, which became the movie with Brad Pitt about investing in baseball players. But he wrote a book about the financial crisis. And it's a kind of travel book as well. So he travels to all the countries that saw bits of the financial crisis. So Iceland he goes to, he goes to Greece. And what he does is he relates the problems specific to them in the financial crisis to various traits and characteristics or stereotypes about the people of that country. The one about Germany and why it managed to dodge the financial crisis, or at least the worst of it, is fascinating. Again, I am not going to tell you what it is, but it is Hilarious! It's just so well observed. And these smart people, yeah, they're smart, yeah, they're insightful, but they are darn funny.
2: I read a lot of self-help books because I really enjoy them. There's a book that I read last year, actually. It's called How to Be Awesome by Dan Meredith. He just does not care. Like, he wrote a self-help book, but he said it exactly as he wanted it to be he said a lot of things instead of doing oh you've got to be really calm and collected and you've got to live your best life and doing all this kind of rubbish he just cut through that noise told it exactly as it was said life is tough life is hard and you just need to get through it so really awesome book
3: the funniest book that springs to mind for me first up is uh, Gulliver's Travels uh, by Jonathan Swift I just thought that was a hilarious book one of my favourites anyway of all time and just the satire that was in there is, which is still relevant today Maybe even more so, uh, ironically enough. But yeah, I'd say uh, Gulliver's Travels. I do love a good autobiography. Uh, Tina Fey's Bossy Pants was absolutely fantastic,
0: but I did the, make the mistake of listening to it on an audiobook instead of reading it, and I was listening to it when swimming and nearly drowned several times through <laughs> sheer after. So Bossy Pants is fantastic. I love David Sedaris' wacky family that has inspired so many comedy books, and I think his diary style is brilliant. But going back to diary style, it's got to be The Diary of Adrian Mull. Just brilliant, formative writing and reading when you're in your teens and still it's timeless now.
2: Some wonderful responses there from the Dubai Eye office on the funniest book or author they've ever read. Unfortunately, we're going to have to leave our discussion of reasons to be cheerful here. Thank you so much, Mina, for joining us in the studio to review You're welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm glad you enjoyed your reading experience as well.
0: There's just so much more to hear. Download
3: our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com